Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. We are uh, continuing our brief series on the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, if you'll be finding Galatians chapter 5, we will be looking at this passage of Scripture that you know uh, as the fruit of the Spirit, but we're going to be looking at it on a more comprehensive basis than that. So Galatians chapter 5, if you'll be finding that, we'll read that in a few moments. Now, if you've ever played golf, you know, number one, how frustrating that game can be. But you also know perhaps how rewarding it can be to stand on a tee box and actually hit the ball well to drive it down the middle of the fairway some 250 yards plus. If you don't know that, perhaps you've played with someone like myself and you've marveled at how well I can do that. But do that once or twice and you start getting the feeling that you can do it all the time. Especially if you happen to do it two or three times in a row And then you get up on the next tee box with all kinds of confidence because now you finally got it figured out only to use the same club and what you think to be the same swing. And this time you roll it off the tee box, not even making it to the ladies' tee. Anybody who has played golf has said or has heard it said while on the golf course, why can't I just be consistent? In fact, I played this week, first time in about a month, And I was complimented, actually, for my consistency. You don't hear that very often on the golf course. But one of my playing partners said, at least you're consistent. Because I got up on a tee box with my driver, and I promptly put it way outside of the fairway, out of bounds to the right. I declared a mulligan, which for you non-golfers means I get to do it again. And so I got another ball out and hit another shot roughly in the same spot I'd hit the first one. Again, way out of bounds. And I was told, at least you're consistent. Well, since baseball started back, perhaps I can use a baseball illustration. A power hitter gets up to the plate, actually sees the ball well and connects with it just right, and the ball sails over the outfield fence for a home run. And yet, sometimes in the very next at bat, he can get up there and look so silly because he misses the ball so thoroughly. And all of that leads to frustration. In fact, you're probably feeling frustration for many reasons over the condition and the state we're in these days. And one of the frustrating things with all of this pandemic stuff is the inconsistency that surrounds it. In other words, we're told that this is the best way to combat the illness and this is what we need to do. These are the steps we need to take in order to get beyond this, but it doesn't seem to apply across the board. And so we're left to wonder, why can we do this thing and not do something else? It all seems so inconsistent. And I think you'll admit that the Christian life is very similar. One minute we are walking faithfully with the Lord, And the next, we are rebelling against him, even like we used to do prior to coming to faith in Christ. One day, we are passionate about the things of God, and the next day, we are as apathetic as we can possibly be. And sometimes we wonder, are we the only ones who are living like this? 
Is everybody else experiencing what we sometimes call, in some circles, the victorious Christian life, and yet we've somehow missed it because we have all of these peaks and valleys that we're going through, and it seems like everybody else is always at the peak, and yet we're struggling one day to the next. Have we missed the key somehow? Well, take heart this morning because you are not the first to experience this. You are not the only one to experience this. We are not the first generation to go through this. In fact, the Bible is replete with this from the very beginning. Mankind has always had this struggle. In fact, listen to these words. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want but the very thing that I hate. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now, who would say that? Well, that is none other than the great apostle Paul. And we can certainly identify with him in those words. The things I want to do, I have a hard time doing. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I tend to do. And I don't have the ability, the, the desire, the commitment to carry all these things out. Now, we know all of this from experience, having lived this dilemma. We know it by visually seeing others living the same thing and experiencing the frustrations over and over again. And so while we're never going to totally eliminate this from our lives, this struggle is always going to be with us as long as we are on this earth. If we learn what we're talking about this morning, and that is the walk of the Spirit, we can at least take strides and make strides in overcoming some of this struggle. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26 is where we see this walk of the Spirit. Last week, we looked at the work of the Spirit, and we talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit of God is instrumental in our conversion. And then, of course, we referenced the fact that as believers, once he converts us, he continues to work in our lives. And I said last week that everything moving forward from the second half of that first sermon was going to deal with the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And so obviously an unbeliever does not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Therefore, they cannot walk in or with the Spirit. So I am speaking to believers today as we talk about walking in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. And there in the first verse, we're going to see this phrase. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the part you probably know. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, before we dive into the specifics, let me, rem let me remind you just briefly of the general. That is, last week we saw that the Holy Spirit of God is the third member of the Trinity, not third in rank. They are all equal, Father, Son, and Spirit. They are distinct, and yet they are not divided. Something that we call the Trinity, three in one. Though we know it's taught in the Bible, it is difficult for us to wrap our heads around. As such, the Holy Spirit of God is not merely a force. He is not merely a power. He is a person, an entity. And as you might expect when you think about it, the vast majority of the references to the Holy Spirit of God are in the second half of the New Testament. There's not very many references in the Gospels other than, for example, at the baptism of Jesus, as we talked about last week, we see the Spirit descending in the form or like a dove. And then, of course, we know that Jesus predicts the coming of the Spirit. So those references are in the Gospels. But the vast majority are in the books of the Bible after the Gospels. We know that Jesus promised the coming of the Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit did indeed come, resulting in the apostles speaking to people in other languages. That is, they were in Jerusalem, there were all kinds of people from all over the, the world in that area that had come to Jerusalem, and the apostles had the ability to speak to them the gospel in their own languages, something we will look at next week as we deal with the gifts of the Spirit. Now, because we looked at the work of the Holy Spirit of God last week in his calling and in his convicting and, his, and in his converting us to Christ, we said then that he then continues to work in our lives as believers until we are with Christ in person. The Holy Spirit of God is with us to continue that work until we go to see Jesus. And it is that continuing work that we are going to talk about today. So the first step of walking in the Spirit is what I'm going to call being filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit simply means that you and I live in daily dependence upon God. Now, we were at the beach earlier this summer, right at the very beginning of summer, and we happened to see a sign for a business that was called the Holy Spirit's Thrift Shop. Now, I did not feel led by that same Holy Spirit to stop at that thrift shop. But I sort of imagined that the idea was that if I were to stop at that thrift shop and enter the doors, the Holy Spirit of God was going to lead me to buy whatever it is I needed, whether I understood I needed that or not, the Holy Spirit was going to lead me to make my purchases. Now, I don't know if that's the intent or not. I'm just being a little bit funny about it. But is that what we mean? When we talk about being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, does that mean that every time I have a decision to make, the Holy Spirit of God is going to lead me exactly to make that particular decision? Well, Ephesians chapter 5 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So there is a comparison here. 
Just as somebody can be intoxicated by alcohol and therefore be controlled by it, so we as believers are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. We see the same phrase, this filling of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost that I mentioned earlier. We find it in Acts chapter 4 when the filling of the Spirit led them to boldly proclaim Jesus. So let's not just leave this, this Christian terminology And sometimes in the Christian church, we have this Christian terminology that we all hear, but we really don't know what it means. So when we say, be filled with the Spirit, we've heard that before. We know it's biblical because the phrase is found right there in the Scriptures, but we're not quite certain what it means. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, number one, it means that He, that is the Spirit of God, He permanently enters us. The Holy Spirit of God does not come and go like the wind. He is not here with us today and gone tomorrow. We believe according to the word of God that the moment we are saved, we receive the Holy Spirit of God within us. Now, part of the confusion about this is that this is different in the Old Testament. In other words, if you read the Old Testament, you will find places where the Holy Spirit of God comes upon a particular individual at a particular time for a specific ministry. And then that Holy Spirit might leave that individual. So we do find in the Old Testament that the Spirit comes and the Spirit goes. But when we come to the New Testament, we find the indwelling of the Holy Spirit with the departure of Christ physically We are given the indwelling Holy Spirit to abide with us forever. And that's what began at Pentecost, again in Acts chapter 2. Jesus told Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and born of the Spirit. Elsewhere, the Bible tells us that we can't even call Jesus Lord without the Spirit of God. Again, we talked last week about the Spirit's role in our salvation. And the bottom line is you cannot be saved without the Spirit. Neither can you be continually sanctified without the Spirit. And it is that sanctification that we're talking about today and we'll talk about again next week. Therefore, all of God's children possess the Spirit of God. Well, you say, what about those who are seeking and maybe even have received a second blessing? You are perhaps aware that there are some Christians, there are some denominations that teach this second blessing. That is, when you are saved, you do not have the totality of the Spirit of God. That is something that you must pursue. That is something you must go after. That is something you must ask for. And by faith, you might one day receive it. And when you do receive it, it's called the second blessing. And you might have gifts associated with it, like speaking in tongues. Again, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit next week, and so we'll talk specifically about that. So what about all of this? Well, for now, let me just say again that the Holy Spirit of God is not something that must be sought. He is already possessed. The Holy Spirit of God is a gift from God that comes with salvation the moment that we are saved. This is what Jesus promised his 12 disciples, and it's exactly what we get when we are converted. Now again, there are some disagreements here, and part of it is because when we come to the book of Acts, there are some what we might consider to be unique moments in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a transitional book. 
That is, we are transitioning in the book of Acts from the Gospels, which is the physical presence of Jesus and his ministry, to the beginning of the church. And so we would expect that there are going to be some unique events in the book of Acts that are not normative. Normative meaning normal for the Christian life. So we have to be very careful, particularly with this specific book, Acts, because there are some things that go on that are not necessarily something that's gonna happen all of the time moving forward. For example, go to Acts chapter five, and I think you'll discover there that you're very glad these aren't normative things. You know what happens in Acts chapter five? That's the famous story of Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Spirit, and what happened to them? They dropped dead in the church. And we read that passage and we say, I don't fully understand it, but guess what? I'm glad that's not normative. I'm glad that is not how God ordinarily works with his children. Otherwise, we would all be in trouble. There is another example that is more pertinent to what we are talking about today, and it is found in Acts chapter 19. There, Paul is in Ephesus, and when he's on, he's on one of his missionary journeys, and he's in Ephesus, and he comes across some disciples, and he asks them this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, based on what I'm saying today, we would expect them to say, absolutely, we received the Holy Spirit the moment we were saved. After all, that is the way God works. Everyone who is converted receives the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion, but that is not what they say. In answer to the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, they said this, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. They didn't know anything about it. They had been baptized into John's baptism, but that's all they knew. So Paul further explained the gospel to them. They were baptized in the name of Jesus and they received the Holy Spirit. So it seems that in this unique case, it was a transitional time where their understanding was lacking since they hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit of God. And we make a serious error when we go to a passage like that and say, that's the way it is for all believers. Because the rest of the New Testament does not bear witness to that. But being filled with the Holy Spirit of God is an ongoing process. Again, we're gonna talk more about that in just a few moments. But the filling of the Spirit can come and go. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is permanent, but the filling of the Holy Spirit is something that comes and goes, and sadly, oftentimes we live without it. So while every believer possesses the Spirit of God, there are degrees when it comes to the filling. So secondly, the Holy Spirit powerfully equips us. He not only permanently enters us, but he powerfully equips us. Now let me give you some biblical examples. Again, from the book of Acts, some of these I've already mentioned. Um, in Acts chapter 2, we find the disciples at Pentecost, and they have the ability to boldly proclaim the gospel in other languages. Going outside the book of Acts, we go to Luke's gospel. It is said of Jesus that he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God prior to going out into the wilderness to face the temptation. In other words, Jesus needed that powerful equipping of the Holy Spirit of God to face that temptation. In Acts chapter 4, again, speaking of believers, the reference is made to the filling of the Spirit, leading them to boldly speak the truth. And then there is a case in Acts chapter 13 where Paul is trying to witness to somebody, and there's a magician who is hindering him. 
And Paul, filled with the Spirit, boldly confronts this magician so that he can continue to witness to this other man. And these are just a few examples. But they do give us a broad perspective on the sense that it ought to be the normal condition of the believer that not only do we have the Spirit indwelling us, but this same Spirit powerfully equips us for service and for ministry. And I'm convinced this is the major reason why so many people, both ministers and lay people, burn out when it comes to Christian service. Because we're trying to do it in our own strength. We're trying to do it with our own ability. We are not walking in the Spirit and being powerfully equipped by the Spirit. We are doing it in our own effort and under our own power. And then we wonder why we don't get very far in the process. Because we're not being filled with the Spirit, which is something that happens on an ongoing and continuous basis and something we need to encourage us for the ministries. The early disciples had it. Again, you read the book of Acts and you'll see that phrase over and over again. And it's something we need as well. This flows into our third point about the filling of the Spirit. He personally encourages us. Now, all of us need encouragement. And there are some people in our lives who encourage us, and we need that. And the fact that the Holy Spirit encourages us does not mitigate that. We need not only other people encouraging us, but ultimately, we need the Spirit of God encouraging us. As we saw last week, he reminds us, he encourages us by reminding us of the truth of God's word. He leads us into the truth by only speaking those things which God tells him to speak. He encourages us by reminding us of who we are in Christ. When we are constantly bombarded with all of those false images and false ideas that the world or others throw at us, the Holy Spirit of God continually encourages us by reminding us of who we are in Jesus. He encourages us by reminding us of our destiny, that this life is not all there is. Neither is this life the best we are ever going to experience, but instead there is something far greater that awaits us. He encourages us by reminding us that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God until our day of final salvation. That is, we are not only saved, but we are secure. So the command to be filled with the Spirit is something that we need continuously and increasingly to appropriate in our daily lives. Because we often relegate the Spirit's work to the, the major things, the fireworks, if you will, we sometimes forget His ordinary, everyday activity in our lives that we've just talked about. All right, so that's the first point. The next two are going to be much shorter, but we need to be filled with the Spirit. Secondly, we need to be faithful to the Spirit. You might be saying to yourself, okay, that is what I need. I need to be filled with the Spirit. I understand that I possess the Spirit, but how, do I, how am I filled with the Spirit on an ongoing and regular basis? And that's what you want to know now. How can I have this? And the answer is in part that we need to be faithful to the Spirit. We certainly can't hope to be filled with the Spirit if we're not being faithful to the Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, number one, it means don't grieve the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13, and do not, or verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's the fact I was just talking about a moment ago. The Holy Spirit seals us. But that passage very clearly says, do not grieve the Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit of God is essentially doing something that he tells us not to do. 
Every parent has experienced this in parenting. Your children grieve you when they are disobedient, when they do something that you have told them not to do. The relationship remains intact, but that you have been grieved by their disobedience. This doesn't mean that we must be perfect, but it does mean living with short accounts, which means when we grieve the, or when we, when we grieve the Spirit, we repent and we repent quickly, and then we go on our way. And by the way, this is another evidence that the Holy Spirit of God is not just a force or a power. You can't grieve a force. You can't grieve the wind, but you can grieve a person. And so the Holy Spirit of God is a person of the Trinity. Secondly, we don't quench the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, again, very succinctly says, do not quench the Spirit. This is sort of the, the side or the opposite of what we just talked about. Quenching the Spirit is when we know He is leading us to do something and we choose not to do it. So grieving the Spirit is when we disobey. Quenching the Spirit is when we know He's leading us. And I think all of us have had this experience if we've been Christians long enough. We know the Holy Spirit of God is leading us to do something. Maybe it is to confess our sin or repent of it. Maybe it's to go to someone whom we have sinned against and ask their forgiveness. Or maybe it is to get involved in some sort of Christian service or ministry. We know the Holy Spirit of God is leading us. We know we're not being manipulated. We know it's not a matter of guilt. We know deep down that this is something the Holy Spirit of God is leading us to do. And yet, we simply decide that we're not going to do it. And by doing that, we quench the Spirit. And the problem with that, among other things, is that as we quench the Spirit, it becomes easier to do so again. And the more we quench the Spirit, the harder it's going to be to understand and hear the Holy Spirit's leading. It becomes harder to accurately discern God's voice. voice. So being faithful to the Spirit, don't grieve the Spirit, don't quench the Spirit. And the third thing sort of sums up the, the first two, and that is obey the Spirit. That one sums up the first two, that we are to be obedient to the Holy Spirit of God. And as we are obedient, it becomes easier to discern His direction. And the more we obey, the more direction we receive. And while you're obeying the Spirit, it makes sense that you're not obeying the flesh. That's what he says in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you're doing one thing, it is going to make sure that you're not doing the other. Because these two things are in battle one with another, doing one will help you not do the other. Now notice that the verse I read earlier from Ephesians that said be filled with the Spirit is a command. Therefore, it is our responsibility, this ongoing filling. Again, the, the possession of the Holy Spirit is a gift. It is simply received at salvation. But the ongoing filling is a command. You be filled with the Spirit. And so we have a responsibility here to not quench the Spirit, to not grieve the Spirit, but to obey the Spirit so that we might be filled. And this involves a daily commitment Obviously, a daily denial of the things we want to do versus what the Spirit wants us to do. And as a result, we receive daily blessings. All of which leads to the third point, and that is bear the fruit of the Spirit. Someone has said the fruit of the Spirit grows in the garden of obedience. And that is why this is last. Once you are filled with the Spirit and you are faithful to the Spirit, and again, those two things go hand in hand, 
then you will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Now notice I said bear, not produce. And here is where we get confused. We read the list that are found here in Galatians 5. I'm not going to go through them point by point. I know most sermons that you hear on this text goes through these various things point by point. It says, well, you know, we ought, to, we ought to not do these things. In fact, maybe you didn't even realize these two lists are side by side. You just know the fruit of the Spirit. But at any rate, most sermons you hear on this passage, they'll say, well, let's look at the fruit of the Spirit and we'll walk through it one by one, talk about what these various categories or uh, qualities are, and then we strive to get more involved in them and do them more often. That is, we go away from it and we say, you know what, I really do need to be more kind. I really do, as much as I hate to admit it, need to be more patient. I'm going to commit to doing these things. And yet it only gets us so far, right? And we know it's not very far at all. And then we're back to where we started in this sermon, and that is the inconsistency in the Christian life. We walk out of these doors committed to, to producing the fruit that we see here, and yet we struggle to do it. Why is that? Well, because good intentions are hard to follow through for any length of time. And the reason is very clear here because this is a real battle. Look at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The reason this try harder mentality doesn't work is because we have a battle going on within us and it is a real battle. And the flesh is warring against the spirit and the spirit is striving to overcome the flesh and we're having a difficult time because this battle is ongoing. I was listening to a country song this week that was in different terms talking about this same kind of thing. It was basically saying that this war inside of us is as old as time. And then I liked the way the next phrase uh, said it. He said, and I, I live or die by which one I feed. That's pretty good. I live and die by which one I feed. If I feed the flesh, then I'm going to be doing the things of the flesh. But if I feed the Spirit, or in our terms this morning, if I'm walking in the Spirit and being filled by the Spirit and being faithful to the Spirit, then gradually the Spirit is going to have sway in my life and it's going to overcome the desires of the flesh. The one you feed is going to necessarily starve out the other one. So there is a real battle going on. And then we see, verse 21, that the stakes are high. The second half of verse 21 those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he gives us this list, this negative list of the fruits of the flesh. And he says, if this describes you, if this consistently characterizes your life, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that we might lose our salvation? I hope you know we talk about that enough. We are not talking about losing our salvation, that if we do these things occasionally or even somewhat consistently, that we're going to lose our salvation. We've already said that the Holy Spirit of God is the one who calls, convicts, and converts and continues to work in our life, even sealing us to the day of redemption. So we're not going to lose our salvation. But what it is saying is that your life can be seen by how you act. In other words, if your life consistently is in those first half statements, then that bears testimony to the truth that your profession is not genuine. 
I didn't say if you did some of those things occasionally. I didn't say if you fall into sin occasionally. I didn't say if you were tempted and you gave in. We all do that. But if these things consistently characterize your life, then he's saying your profession might not be genuine. Which leads to the final point, the fruit is evident. And by that I mean it's observable on both sides. You cannot hide whether or not you are walking in the spirit or whether or not you are walking in the flesh. Either way, the fruit is going to be evident by the way you live your life. So it's really a lot simpler than we tend to think. How do I know if I am walking in the spirit? Again, that's one of those Christian phrases that we use, but we really don't know objectively what it means or how to determine whether or not we are doing it. Well, Paul says all you got to do is look at the fruit. Fruit is observable. It cannot be hidden. It cannot be justified or rationalized. And notice that the word fruit is singular. It does not say the fruits of the Spirit, which is the way we often say it in error. It says the fruit, singular. In other words, the idea here is not that I look at these qualities and say, well, overall, I'm doing okay. I mean, sure, I could use some work here or there, but overall, I'm doing okay. Now, this is a package deal. This is the fruit of the Spirit. All of these things, to one degree or another, should be evident in our lives as we are walking by or in the Spirit. So the filling of the Holy Spirit of God will bear fruit in every area of our lives and it will be evident to all of those around us whether you know the terminology or not. So let's briefly put these two weeks together. Last week we talked about the new life that the Spirit brings. He is the agent, the means by which we are saved. Yes, I know that Jesus is the one who died, the one who paid the penalty for our sins and rose again. But it is through the Spirit that we are convicted and converted through repentance and faith. And this inevitably then results in the walk of the Spirit to one degree or another. The Holy Spirit does not convert us and then leave us to our own strength. He doesn't bring us to Christ and then desert us to try our best the rest of our lives. He continues to empower and equip us for life and ministry. Yes, we have a part to play. We must consciously and consistently walk in the Spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. And as we are faithful in doing that, we are filled with the Spirit. And as we are filled with the Spirit, we are going to bear the fruit of the Spirit, meaning that our lives are going to be consistently changed. Will there be the peaks and valleys? Yes. That's just part of being sinful. But as we look back over our lives, we ought to be able to see a growth pattern that today I'm walking in the Spirit more so than I did last year or more, more so than I did 10 or 20 years ago because He is consistently sanctifying us, making us more like Christ, all to the glory of Christ. Let me pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity for us to study once again the Holy Spirit and His role in our lives. I pray that you would help us to walk in the Spirit so that we do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Help us to pursue the filling of the Spirit as we are faithful in walking with the Spirit. All so that we might bear the fruit of the Spirit, not that others may look at us and talk about how good we are 
but that we might bear the fruit of the Spirit for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Our